All right, this is a day that the Lord has made. We're gathered together in his name, and I'm glad that we can. I'm grateful that we can gather together in his name. I'm glad that we have a place to join together in fellowship, and I'm glad we're in unity with one another. Turn with me, if you will. We're going to go through uh, a few passages today. I I'm, I'm kind of on a trend right now. I can't predict them. I don't manipulate them, but... Such as it is, we're going to be looking at a topic today. And that topic is nevertheless, the power of nevertheless. And uh, if you want to turn to the passage, we're going to start out in Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. So as you read through the Bible, there's different phrases and words that will catch your Catch your eyes sometimes. You you read them and you know something's about to happen. You know something's about to change. And when you really watch out, you look for that change. You know, when you're studying to preach or when you're studying to teach and you see things, you see words in there. And I've I've made a a big fuss about the word, but y'all know about that. I've, I've mentioned it more than a few times here and I've mentioned it more than a few times at the jail. But the uh in Romans 6.23, says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, we see something going one direction, and then all of a sudden a word comes in there and it changes the direction for the better. So uh, these are words that can turn a good thing into a bad thing, or sometimes they can turn a bad thing into a good thing. We often read right past them without stopping to think what would happen if that word or phrase wasn't there. The wages of sin is death. If uh, we, we know that for all of sin and come short of the glory of God and we'd be stuck with the wages of sin is death. If God didn't love us enough, Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If God didn't love us enough, to provide his son for our salvation, it would be like the days of Noah. You know, he saved Noah, but he destroyed the entire world. We saw that this morning when we read about the flood, right? We would be stuck in the wages of sin is death. You would have messed up. There wouldn't be no fessing up. There wouldn't be no healing up. There wouldn't be any comfort. There wouldn't be anything to look forward to. We would be headed toward hell without Christ. But God made a way. Another example is uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. He says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's made us alive. That word quickened there. He said, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's a pretty dire consequence there. Your your children of wrath. We, we, We all served sin before we got saved. And it says in verse number four, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
In both of these cases, it is God who saved us. So I want to point out another word. Let's have a word of prayer before we start. And we'll look at the word nevertheless. So I want to point out another word that has the power to help you. And that word is nevertheless. And there's a lot of power in that word. You wouldn't think it. But when you start to look at it where it shows up, you, you, let me show you some ways that it's got power. And at uh, dictionary.com, because we all look things up on the Internet now, right? But dictionary.com kind of describes it this way, and I like their definition. They said a funny-looking adverb that appears to be made up of three words squished together. Now, that's a good down-to-earth dictionary, right? Nevertheless. Nevertheless means even so are all the same. It's likely that nevertheless evolved from the Middle English, nevertheless, a word with the same sense of despite anything to the contrary and notwithstanding. So despite anything else that's going on, this happens. Nevertheless, you might say of your sibling, sure, we bicker and get sick of each other sometimes. Nevertheless, they're family and I love them. In spite of all that, in spite of all the pain, in spite of all the picking and all the, you know, stealing your sister's clothes and all that, you still, they're family and you love them, nevertheless. Definitions of nevertheless, despite anything to the contrary, usually following a concession. You don't want to do something and you're determined, everything in you says, man, I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, you go and do it. Synonyms are all the same, even so. However, nonetheless, notwithstanding, still, withal, yet, while we disliked each other, nevertheless, we, dis- we agreed. So despite whatever else your circumstances, motivations, fears, or dangers are involved, you move in a certain direction. In the English vocabulary, there's a handful of words that can change the entire context of a sentence in one conversation. They can even change the outcome of an entire situation. So today, let's point out how both as individuals and as a church body, that word nevertheless can change your life, can draw you closer to Christ, or it can push you away. The power of nevertheless can change things for us as individuals, and even as a church body, it can change a dialogue, situation, and eventually an entire city, a nation, and yes, even a world. You hold within your hands what sort of difference that word is going to make in your life. Nevertheless has the power to stop you from enjoying your life as a Christian. It can stop you from enjoying God's promises. It can move you past things. It can move you past pain. It can move you past doubt. It can move you past fear. And it can also motivate you to move forward in your walk with Christ. So let's take a look at that. Number one, it has the power to stop you, that word nevertheless. Look at Numbers chapter 13. You can stay there. I'm just going to say in Exodus 3.8, God made a promise to Israel. He said, I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of, that, out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. God made them a promise. When they were leaving Egypt, they were suffering in Egypt. God just didn't take them out of something and then leave them alone. But God put, took, took, 
God led them toward something. God made them a promise of a land filled with milk and honey, that they would have a land of their own. God not only took them out of a land, but he promised them a land to come. You know, we've been given a promise as Christians. God not only took us out of sin, God not only saved us from a life of sin, but he gave us a home in heaven. He prepared a home for us. Amen. So we get over to Numbers chapter 13. They've been wandering around in the wilderness. They've been following God. They've messed up. They've fessed up. Some of them died. Some of them, a lot of them kept following. But they get close to the promised land. And they send spies over into the promised land. And they're almost at the end of their journey. And at the time of all that, all that wandering around and living in tents, that's just about over. And they're facing over. They send some spies over there. They say, look over in this land and tell us what it's like. And that's where we get. They sent spies into the promised land to bring back word. God was ready to deliver them. So Numbers 13, he says, And they came unto the brook of Eshkel and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bear it between two upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of figs. So when they go in there, not only is it a land of milk and honey, but the grapes are so big that they have to carry them between them. The place was called the Brook Eshkel because the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and to all, unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. God was right. He's, he's keeping good on his promise. That's, what we, that's the report we've got so far, right? That God's promise is fulfilled. There is a heaven. There is a home in heaven. And it's there and we've seen it. There is a home in the promised land. And verse 27, And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. And everyone's looking at that and saying, man, I can't wait to get over there. Man, that looks good. I can't wait to get me a home over there. And then nevertheless steps in in the next verse. Verse 28 says, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great, and moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled before the, peop the people before Moses. And out of the twelve, there's two young men that stand forward. But see, as they're looking at the promised land, they say, yes, this is it. This is where God's sending us. This is where God wants us to walk in. Well, oh, my goodness, look at this over here. Oh, my goodness, look at that over there. There were monsters in the land. There were giants in the land, and there's walled cities. Hey, if you know your Bible, you know what happened when they got to that walled city, how they marched around it, how they marched around it seven times, and they blew the trumpet, and the walls came down. God will make a way. But when they got over there, their heart fell because they said, there ain't no way we can do all this. You're right, you can't. And I'm telling you, in your own life, you'll, you'll walk over and you'll say, well, this is where God wants me to go. This is where God wants us to go as a church. But man, it, the, the giants are big over there and look at the problems we face. And it's like, Lord, 
makes a way in all of that. You got to have faith in your own life. Your whole Christianity, your whole relationship with the Lord is based on faith. Let me ask you something. Do you trust God to save you? Do you trust him to take you into heaven when you die? Well, does your faith falter when you're here on earth? He's the same God that led them out of Egypt. He's the same God that led them into the promised land. But they got there and they said, nevertheless, there be walled cities. Nevertheless, there's giants in the land. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are able, well able to overcome it. Caleb saw the good side. See, this would have been a little different. It said, nevertheless, there are giants in the land. Nevertheless, Caleb said, we're able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we've been not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. But they're not stronger than God. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Hey, you know, if you're going to have faith in God, it's going to change things. And and let me tell you something, as a preacher, I get worried about getting caught up like this and preaching like this because, man, what kind of week is it going to be? But let me tell you something, we got to put our faith in the Lord. Not just for heaven, but for our time here and when we go forward. But nevertheless, and here they are, they bring an evil report, eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. So you see the story of the 12 spies. You discover that to a man, every one of them experienced the wonder of Canaan. It wasn't just Joshua and Caleb that pulled down a bunch of grapes. It wasn't just Joshua and Caleb that saw the pomegranates, that saw the land flowing with milk and honey. They said, yes, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. However, in 10 of the spies, there was a nevertheless, it changed the entire picture. This goes from being the end of their journey to being another part of their journey. They witnessed God's promises, but they couldn't trust his protection. God didn't lead them to this point just to leave them wishing, if only. God didn't take them over there to say, you see this over here? Oh, if only God would take us into the promised land. His intention was to take them. But 85% of the spies used the power of nevertheless to change a positive we saw into a negative we can't. Their attitude was, yes, there's plenty of promise in the land that we spied out. But in spite of all that, it was this nevertheless, it became an end and a ceasing finality because it stopped what God wanted to do for Israel. Let me tell you something. Nevertheless, and your life can stop you from seeing the promises of God. Nevertheless, can stop you from witnessing God work in someone else's life. God leads you to somebody, and they they begin to ask you about the Lord. Been in them situations before. It comes out of nowhere, and they, they ask you, well, can you tell me about the Bible? Can you tell me about Jesus? I mean, it'll be teed up. 
Nevertheless, you're afraid to say something. You see someone convicted of sin, and you see them broken over their sin, and you see them upset, and there's something in you that just makes you want to say, but, 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 but God loves you. Sometimes you got to let them sit there a little bit and be lost. And nevertheless, you just comfort them and take them out of there. You can kind of see where I'm going with this. There's points in your life you can see God work, but that nevertheless comes out, and you're afraid of the giants. You're afraid of those things. So not only can nevertheless stop you from seeing God's promises, from, from accepting God's promises, but nevertheless can stop you from enjoying God's blessing. Over in Revelation chapter number 2, it says, Unto the angel of the church of the Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and he walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And he tells the church at Ephesus, he says, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. It's a good testimony that they have, right? It's a great testimony. They're weeding it out. They're following the Lord. They're teaching the right doctrine. But he says, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. And they're hard working in this church at Ephesus. And then nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. And nevertheless, in your life, you can get busy for the Lord. You can get to doing things for the Lord. You can get, get just so mechanical about it. <laughs> and he tells them, you're doing good. The works are good. It's good that you're going on visitation. It's good that you're witnessing the people. It's good that you got the programs going or whatever. It's good that you're teaching Bible. Nevertheless, you've left your first love, which is Jesus Christ. You want to keep those things in mind that might be left behind. So he chastens them in, in a small way. He tells them this is something that you need to correct. So he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because thou hast left thy first love. It doesn't feel good when God points out your flaws. You feel like you're doing good. You feel like everything's rolling along, and then there's something that happens. You read a little bit of God's word. I, I tell you, I'm, I'll share something with you. It's a secret. I don't care if it's on the Internet, but, I mean, there's sometimes, you know, you get to reading God's word, or you get to reading some things, and God shows you some things, and it'll convict you. You know, we live in a different time and age from the 50s, right? We live in a world that saturates us. You can walk by a sign, and it'll change everything. Uh, Megan, she, you know, the end of the spirit. Remember the missionaries down in Guyana that were killed? Well, there's several books. I mean, Elizabeth Elliot, she had a radio ministry for years. Her husband, Jim Elliot, was one of the ones that had that were killed that day on that beach. And he had journals. And that journal ends, I think, on December 31st. I forget the year. But it was like four days later, they were killed on that beach. Megan's got her copy, and it's a, one of the original printings. I ordered a paperback, and I'm reading that. 
and I'm, I'm reading his thoughts, and, I, and he's being honest in it. And I, I come across one part, and, you know, him and Elizabeth on Saturday, they would go for a walk together every Saturday, you know, when they were down in Guyana. Him and his wife would go for a walk. And there was one entry there where he got upset because she invited somebody else on the walk. And he was upset about it. And he kind of gotten mad about it. And she, she, uh, she just kind of quit talking to him. She said, I don't feel like walking today. But he was writing about that, and he was writing about the conviction in his heart. And he's, he's writing about, you know, Lord, just let her know that I, I love her. And, you know, and I'm reading that, and I'm thinking, man. Some of the things that he expresses, how God just breaks his heart over it, and it's like, and then the Lord's saying, yeah, what about this? What about that? <laughs> There's some times when you, when you kind of drift away from God, it gets hard to get that correction. It gets hard when God shows you something. It's hard to keep that nose on the grindstone when it's just skinning you. But nevertheless... So he tells them, he gives them away. It doesn't feel good when God points out the flaws. It said, but Lord, I've been trying so hard in these other areas. Can't you see that? Can't you see what I've done over here? Can't you see these other things that I'm doing? Can't you see all these? Why do you got to point out the one flaw? He sees what the church at Ephesus has done. He points it all out. He also knows where they're falling short, and he shows them the way to correct it. And God will show you. Over in Revelation 2.5, he says, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. You know, he says, Nevertheless, thou hast left thy first love. We don't know what they did, but in your own life, are you going to have a nevertheless that, that changes you around? Nevertheless, he returned. To his first love. Nevertheless, they return to the Lord. That's the thing that we want written on our life. God will correct you in your walk when you fall short, but you can change it for the better or for the worse with the power of nevertheless. And Hebrews 12, 11 says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And I tell you what, there's, some, there's something about, about turning. Nevertheless, I'll follow the Lord. I got my doubts about whether he wants me, but nevertheless, I'll follow the Lord. Lord, I, I know I messed up, but nevertheless, I'm going to turn away from this and I'm going to follow you. Which leads us to our next point. It's the power to move past. The power, nevertheless, it has the power to cause you to miss God's blessings. It can, it can cause you to miss God's promises in your life, you know, the, to see God work in your life. But it also has the power to move you past some things. Over in Luke chapter 5, if you want to look at that. In Luke chapter 5, verse number 4, it says... Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. And have taken nothing. Peter's been out the water, out on the water many a time. <laughs> you know, there's some days there just ain't no fish. 
There's some days you go out there, and you know, I'm the person. All growing up, I remember going fishing with people. This, I don't even know why I'm telling this. It's going to make you forget what I'm trying to tell you. But I'm the one that goes out with somebody and says, man, I ain't never been fishing and not caught something. <laughs> and I've heard that more than once. <laughs> but Peter had been on the water, and he had caught fish, and he knew when there was fish, and he knew when there wasn't fish. <clears throat> and he was out there in the water, and they had been all day. They had let the nets down. They drug, and they pulled the nets in, and they're empty, and he gets to the end, and he gets to the shore, and they're pulling the nets out. And he says, well, that was no good today, but the Lord says to him, he said, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets to be a draught. Simon answered and said, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, Lord, I've witnessed to people. I've told them about you. I've had people spit on the track, stomp them. I remember that when we were in Thomas, Thomaston, Georgia. You know, we went to a carnival. There was a man there. Megan handed him a tract, and he threw it on the ground, spit on it, and stepped on it. And, and Megan said, God loves you, and she walked away. You know, there's people that you witness to, and you wonder about it. It just, they won't come, won't come. God says, go and talk to them again. Lord, I've been fishing, I've... I've tried this, and nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. So he didn't really want to throw his nets out again. Just spent the morning cleaning them. He was a fisherman by trade, knew the waters. His own expertise told him there was no reason to try again, and even went so far as to Inform the Lord, Lord, we tried. We've worked these waters all night long. And it's the nevertheless. And that was his transition from failure to future. To be able to move past the pain, to be able to move past the past failures, to be able to move past those fears and just say, nevertheless, I'm going to do what you say, Lord. Is there a family member that you've witnessed to before? Oh, these things hit me. Is there somebody that you tried to tell about the Lord? Is there something in your life? You say, man, I've been trying this and it's not working. And it may be anything in your life. It may be, you know, for some it's just trying to have a budget. For some it's just trying to, to get to church in the morning. For some it's just trying to open their Bible during the week. You say, nevertheless, you don't give up. You know what the Lord wants, and you say, nevertheless, Lord, at thy word, I'll do it. So you can get past the point of giving up. But you can also get past the point of giving in. And that's past the, you can get past the point of giving in to the flesh, number one. Over in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Over in Romans chapter 7, one of my favorite spots, we see Paul's conflict. We see him 
arguing with himself and, and going back and forth and said, man, and I know y'all have heard this, but man, I love this section because Paul fights it. And he says, when I would do good, evil's with me. When I would do, when I would not do evil, I do it anyway. And that's a paraphrase, but you know, we see the frustration. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Over there in Romans chapter 6, he says, likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. When, when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your sins are crucified on the cross. Your old man dies on the cross with Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. But it doesn't end there. Because you get over into Romans chapter 6, and he says, as we are buried with Christ, we're alive to live unto Christ, alive unto righteousness, alive unto God, alive to serve God, not to yield ourselves servants of sin. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. I'm on the cross. I've died. My old man's dead. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. It wasn't just the old man that was resurrected. It wasn't the sinful man that was resurrected. He says, yet not I, but the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a nevertheless in your life. There's a sinful life. There's flesh to fight. The flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Nevertheless, you live by faith in Christ. We were saved. We were crucified with Christ. However, being crucified with him didn't end our physical life. We still live. And Paul wants us to see that we live in the flesh. Well, the life we live in the flesh is a life that we should live by faith of the Son of God. Living by his life is the only way we're ever going to be able to have victory over sin in our lives. And it's only the faith of the Son of God that will ever be able to accomplish this, accomplish the Lord's will in our lives. And that's from Brother Bevan's welder. So you could give up, you could give in to the flesh, but that word nevertheless helps you to overcome it and look past it. There's also your fears giving in to your fears. There are things that, that make you afraid. It's just like the children of Israel. They look over in the promised land and they were afraid. In your own life, there's fears. And Jesus, when he was facing the cross, and he knew every nail, hammer, he knew every thorn, he knew where the bush was from, he knew the Roman soldiers, he knew their mothers, he knew their fathers, he knew their life, he knew their sin. Their sinful lives as they sat there judging him, as they sat there thrusting a crown of thorns on his head. The king of the universe, the one that will have all things under his foot. As he was there on earth, he knew all of this. And he's there in the garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying and he knows what's ahead of him. And he sweats great drops of blood because he knows what's ahead of him. But you know it's not just that that cross, those thorns, that was a little thing. That was pain. And there's a lot of people that have gone through pain in history. There's a lot of people that have been beaten and tortured. But you know what else Jesus was facing? That none of us have had to face. The sin of the whole world was placed on him on that cross. 
the separation from God. He'd never been separated from God. He'd never had all of that thrust on him. He'd lived a pure and holy life. He followed every jot and tittle of the law from the time he was born until this day. And he followed God's will all through time. He healed people. <laughs> he performed miracles while he was on this earth, and he had people spit on him. And he knew what was coming up. And as he faced that in the garden, he said, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. This cup of trembling, this cup of tribulation, this cup of God's wrath, may this cup be removed from me. But then we see, because here he's every bit man. He's not just God manifest in the flesh, but he's God as a man. He's man here on this earth. He suffers the temptations. He suffers from the flesh, not from sin, but he suffered. He did it all without sin. But he said, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Christ was God wrapped in humanity. He knew what awaited him in the remaining hours of his life on earth, and his human nature didn't want to go through it. In our own lives, we, we face troubles, we face trials. You, you reach the point where you want to give up, or you reach the point where you're tempted to give in to the flesh. You reach that crossroads, that fork in the road, and nevertheless can take you. The Bible tells you all of these things. The Bible tells you about sin. The Bible tells you what's going to happen. Nevertheless, I'm going to go down this way and do what I want to do. The Bible warns you of the dangers. God shows you the sin in your heart. God shows you where you're falling short. Say, nevertheless, I'm going to take the fork that follows you, Lord. How is the power of nevertheless going to work in your life? So not only does the power of nevertheless have the, have the ability, the power to stop you, not only does it have the power to move you, but it also has the power to motivate you. Over in 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul looks back and he remembers all the trials and the tribulations that he's faced as he talks to Timothy. All those times beaten, the time nearly killed, the ship and wreck. He looks at all of that and he says, I suffered all these things. Verse 13, verse uh, 2 Timothy 1, 12, he says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed to have suffered them. You know, when we, when we serve God or when some people serve God, they say, well, if I do what God says, then I'm going to get all of this glory. If I do what God says, people are going to look at me and they're going to say, man, I see God walking in that man. I see the Holy Spirit in that person's life. And they say, man, people will be drawn to you. And you get up and talk in front of them, people will just be drawn around you. And they'll be drawn to the Word of God and the Spirit of God in you. And they see those things. But let me tell you something. Paul, the example that he gave, it wasn't a pretty life. It was a life of suffering. Jesus said over in Acts chapter 9, he said, he must suffer many things for my sake. Paul looks at all of that suffering and he says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. 
Somebody could say, man, Paul's on, God's not on your life, Paul. Look at all the things that happened to you, just like they did Job when Job was going through all that. Paul says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day, against that promise that God made for us, against that promise of a home. Is confident as a walk of faith. So, are you overwhelmed? At times you'll find yourself overwhelmed in your service to God. Nevertheless, your love for Jesus is primary. Without charity, your works are worthless. Are you struggling? At times you'll struggle with sin in your life. Nevertheless, the life you live by faith of the Son of God, He can win the battles that you can't win. Is there doubt at times you'll disagree with God about his will for your life? Nevertheless, his will should prevail. His will is better than yours. Is there fear at times you may be tempted to quit because the suffering is hard to endure? Nevertheless, you won't quit because you're kept by the protective power of God. Nevertheless, his power is greater than that of your weakness. At times you'll grow weary of God's chastisement in your life. You'll say, why is this happening? Nevertheless, you'll remember the peaceable fruit of righteousness and rejoice with the outcome. At times you'll be distressed in the fight and saddened by your losses. Nevertheless, God will uphold you with his uplifting comfort. Nevertheless is a good word. In the New Testament, and it emphasizes the great benefits of our salvation. Would you rise?